The American History Podcast, Season 1, Episode 5, The Southern Colonies, Part 1. Welcome to the American History Podcast. Hosted by Sean Morswick. Before we get started, just a few housekeeping items. If you aren't aware of it, this episode was initially recorded back in September 2017. Now, while I might know some history, I know nothing about sound editing. So admittedly, the sound was amateurish at best. Thankfully, listeners stuck with me, and I've got a sound editor now who knows what he's doing. So in honor of the third anniversary of the show, I'm redoing all of those early episodes from season one. Mainly because, quite honestly, they are embarrassingly bad when it comes to the sound quality. And the last thing I want is to have them out there for the entire world to hear when they're that bad. All right, now that's out of the way. Uh, as always, if you are enjoying the show, please give us a review on iTunes. It really does help to draw in new listeners, and the more listeners we have, the better. Secondly, if you have a question or a comment, the email address is sean at theamericanhistorypodcast.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Facebook. My Twitter handle is at AmericanHistCast, and there's a Facebook group, so head over there and like us. You can easily ask questions and receive answers and all that good stuff. Now, finally, if you want to support the show, uh, my Twitter page has our Patreon pinned, so you just click on the link, and in a matter of minutes, you can join up. You can also find it on the website, www.theamericanhistorypodcast.com. For $5 a month or the cost of buying me a Starbucks, you can help support the show. At that level, you will receive transcripts of the episodes, bonus episodes from time to time, as well as access to our Patreon-only series, 1983, the year the world almost ended. And with that, it's time for the song of the week. This week, the song of the week is When You're Far Away. This song was recorded in 1926 and is courtesy of the Internet Archive. We'll see you on the other side. Till you went away, dear All my happiness turned to loneliness I'm broken hearted since we parted Days are so dreary When you're far So today we're discussing the Southern Colonies, but we're focusing on Virginia. Let's look at the Southern Colonies in general first. Now, the economy in the South was dominated to a degree by the plantation economy. Specifically, they mostly focused on two crops, tobacco and rice. Slavery existed in all five colonies, including, after 1750, Georgia. Now, you might be surprised that until the late 17th century, 
Most slaves weren't African slaves, but were indentured servants, at least in Maryland and Virginia. However, the unfree labor increasingly became black slavery after, say, 1690, give or take. Now, a third characteristic was that large land holdings tended to be owned by aristocrats. An aristocratic atmosphere existed in this region, with the exception of North Carolina and parts of Georgia in the, late, in the 18th century. Furthermore, the area was sparsely settled. Schools and churches were too expensive to build for very small towns, um, so these were also somewhat rare. Now, a fifth characteristic was religious toleration, which might surprise some. The Church of England was the most prominent in the region, but did not force people to attend. Finally, uh, expansionary attitudes, which would come to dominate the American mindset, resulted from a need for new land to compensate for the degradation of existing lands thanks to the soil depletion, which was a result of tobacco farming. This expansion then led to conflicts with Native Americans. All right, so let's get into the meat of this episode. Thanks to the exportation of tobacco, a labor-intensive product that initially at least was cultivated by white, mostly male indentured servants, this led to increasing importation of slave labor from Africa, the Chesapeake colonies, Virginia, and Maryland, and these guys all grew prosperous, at least the colonies did. Um, Virginia was founded in 1607 by the Virginia Company, and it was named in honor of Queen Elizabeth I, the Virgin Queen, by Sir Walter Raleigh in 1584. And what you may not know is that all of North America at one point was Virginia, at least as far as the English were concerned. And many of the early leaders, in fact, the prominent families in Virginia um, up through the 19th century, were descendants of the Cavaliers of the English Civil War. These families and individuals supported the crown against the Puritans in that war. They were the roundheads. Because of this support for the Royalists, Virginia was referred to as the Old Dominion. Now, the first attempt to establish a colony in the region took place in Roanoke or at Roanoke in 1584 on an island off the coast of North Carolina. This attempt was a failure, and the site was soon abandoned. But the English would not give up so easily. In 1587, Raleigh sent another group of colonists to the region. This time, they established a colony on Chesapeake Bay. Before arriving at the Chesapeake, they stopped at Roanoke to try and find survivors from that colony, um, of which there were none. And this group, led by John White, who was appointed governor, would stay at the Roanoke location and reestablish relations with a group of natives known as the Croatan, as well as other local tribes. And life here was tough, and White returned to England to try and obtain help from the crown. Left behind were 115 colonists, along with White's newborn granddaughter, Virginia Dare, the first English child born in the Americas. Unfortunately for the colonists, war broke out between Spain and England, and a resupply fleet was not able to be sent until 1590. And White returned in August of 1590, on what would have been his granddaughter's third birthday, only to find a deserted settlement. There was no trace of the men, women, or children, um, and there was no sign of violence either. So it's a mystery as to what exactly happened to the people of the settlement. Now, just a side note, because we live in the post-Civil War world, many of us, at least those of us who've attended public school in the United States, we have a North over South bias. When we think of the colonies, we think of New England and the Pilgrims. This is due partly to Thanksgiving, and part of that is a result of the North winning the war between the states. However, the reality is that Virginia had many of the firsts that we mistakenly attribute to New England. For example, Virginia was the first named colony. The first permanent settlement was Jamestown in 1607, not Plymouth. The first Thanksgiving held in British North America was held in Virginia on the 4th of December 1619, 
a full two years ahead of the pilgrims. Now, the Spanish held one even earlier in the 16th century after they crossed the Rio Grande into modern-day West Texas. The first legislative assembly in, New in the English colonies in North America met in Virginia, also in 1619, passing the first law in the colonies. Thus, it established civil government before the Mayflower Compact. Speaking of Jamestown, it was the first permanent British colony in the New World. It was founded in 1607 by the Virginia Company, a joint stock company that received a charter from King James I in 1606 to establish settlements in North America. The main goals of the company were to make money, convert the American Indians to Christianity, as Spain had been doing, and the discovery of a new passage through North America to the East Indies, the so-called Northwest Passage. Now, one of the important things to keep in mind is the Virginia Charter itself. This gave overseas settlers the same rights of Englishmen living in England. This document became the foundation for American liberties. Similar rights would be extended to other North American colonies. Often, government teachers, even history teachers, focus on the Mayflower Compact to the detriment of the student. Why? Because the Virginia Charter seems to get left out in the discussion. Jamestown was racked by tragedy during its early years. Famine, disease, and war with American Indians. By 1625, only 1,200 of the nearly 8,000 colonists survived. Only 60 of the 400 settlers um, uh, survived the starving time of 1610 through 11. Captain John Smith reorganized the colony starting in 1608. His order was, quote, he who will not work shall not eat, end quote. His leadership is often credited with helping Jamestown survive the hard early years. I would say he's also important in that this feeling seems to have been imprinted onto the American DNA. Often Europeans wonder at the United States and its rejection of socialism. I can't help but think that it has a lot to do with the fact that this attitude seems to be part and parcel of the thinking, indeed the psychological DNA, of many Americans. Anyway, I'm sure you remember that Smith was kidnapped in late 1607 by the Powhatans, led by Chief Powhatan, who subjected Smith to what might have been a mock execution. Furthermore, Smith was saved by Pocahontas, the chief's daughter, when she was only 12. Pocahontas eventually becomes a central figure in preserving peace in early Jamestown. She provided foodstuffs to the settlers. She even at one point was a hostage of the colonists. Later, she married John Rolfe and taught him the Native American way of curing tobacco. Now, sadly, she died at the age of 22 in England. So this brings us to John Rolfe and the tobacco economy. You might have heard that Virginia was a colony built on smoke. This isn't much of an exaggeration. Rolfe introduced a new tough uh, strain of tobacco, and it became perhaps the most important reason for Virginia's survival. The tobacco industry became the cornerstone of Virginia's economy, and a plantation system emerged. In fact, many of Virginia's elite families made their fortune in tobacco. Another important point about Virginia, the distance from Britain, as well as the initially lax attention that the mother country paid the colonies, led to the creation of self-governing institutions that were unusually democratic for the era. In Virginia, the House of Burgesses was created in 1619. This was the first legislative body in what would become the United States. But not all was well. In 1624, King James I revoked the Virginia Charter. The king believed the assembly was too seditious, but he also loathed tobacco. Thus, at this point, Virginia became a royal colony directly under his control. Okay, so let's talk culture, specifically Cavalier culture in Virginia. We've already discussed some of the more general motivations for colonization to the Americas, but let's talk a little more of specifics. 
the things which motivated the actual colonists themselves. There's four points that I want to mention. Number one, wealth, land. Number two, religion. Number three, the creation of new societies. And four, the desire to recreate aristocratic lifestyles. A couple of quotes from two historians on the Cavaliers. First, Will Durant noted in 1963, quote, many young nobles facing impoverishment in England migrated to America and found, uh, founded aristocratic families like the Washingtons, the Randolphs, the Madisons, and the Lees, end quote. Another quote, um, the pattern of life which the ruling class of Virginia planters sought to follow was an ancient heritage dependent upon the possession of land with sufficient income to maintain one's position with dignity and honor, end quote. The, so the question is, who exactly were these cavaliers? They were members of the British or English upper class. Typically, they were referred to as the gentry. They had supported the monarch in the English Civil War and the Anglican Church of England. As the quote noted, they desired to recreate English life in America. For the most part, they settled in the South, mainly in Virginia, but also Maryland and the Carolinas. And they dominated Southern culture. They were elite, no doubt. And finally, they could trace their roots back, for the most part, to Southern England. Now, some prominent members were William Buck Berkeley, the governor of the colony from 1640s to the 1670s. He was the man who recruited many, if not all, of the Cavaliers to come over to the New World. Another was William Byrd II, the founder of Richmond. You had Richard Lee II, the Carter uh, family, the aforementioned Randolphs, the Beverleys, and so on. These folks, I should mention, were not the first sons. It was the second or third son, the one who wouldn't inherit the family estate in England, who came over. Okay. Well, that's it for today. We're not going to do too much more. I just wanted to give you kind of an overview of Virginia and um, Southern culture and really look at that most important group, the Cavaliers. They're going to be playing a major role in American history in the next century or two. All right. So, as always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Do you like the sound of the American History Podcast? My audio production is provided by the Mad Octopus. Check them out over at madoctopusmedia.com.